Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for joining us for what is now our discussion series for our Midnight Cake. This week, we are discussing the 1985 dystopian black comedy film, Brazil. Directed by Terry Gilliam and written by Gilliam, Charles McAllen, and Tom Stoppard. The film stars Jonathan Price and features Robert De Niro, Kim Greist, Michael Palin, Catherine Hellman, Bob Hoskins, and Ian Holm. Despite its title, the film is not about the country Brazil, nor does it take place there. It is named after the recurrent theme song, Ari Barroso's Aquarela do Brasil, as performed by Jeff Muldar. Since its release, the film has become a cult classic, and is one of those that either you love it or you hate it. But where are my manners? I'm Soltis, and joining me are my friends and fellow trans-dimensional beings, Beaches. Okay, I've got the pitch meeting for Brazil, all right? Excuse me, studio executive, sir. I'd very much like to make a, uh, a movie about a Birdman superhero. <laughs> Let me think. Uh, no, you won't be making your Birdman superhero movie today, uh, sir. Oh, well, could I just make a movie about a, uh, uh, a dystopian world? Where an office worker uh, loves a girl and uh, hide, a, hide, a, hide a Birdman superhero movie in it. <laughs> what was that last part? <laughs> oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. Dystopian <laughs> world, you know, you know, audiences will eat it up. Yes, yes, go forth and make that movie. And Doug. That was really good. Uh, you know, Soltis, if you don't publish this, I'm going to take out an ad against you in Vanity Fair. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You will pay. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> if you edit it for time and take out all the controversial things I say <laughs> about baby mask. <laughs> this movie, after watching it and after I realized what it was, I realized also that it had a profound effect on culture moving forward. And mm -hmm. it, has, it has heavily influenced other artists and their work. And I was just surprised that I had never heard of it until now. It's one of those films where seeing it years and years and years later for the first time, you're almost like, oh, I've already seen all this because every other movie is copied. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, like a matrix, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> one of those things. I think probably even parts of, of that movie were influenced by this probably. one. Probably. No, it's funny. I was trying to think, is there a movie that we've watched that was influenced by this? And oddly enough, or maybe fittingly enough, Super Mario Brothers. Super Mario Brothers, yes. <laughs> was totally one that came to mind, as funny as that is. Uh, Delicatessen, The City of Lost Children, The Hudsucker Proxy. Oh, uh, yeah. One. Yeah, and that's a Dark, good movie. Dark City. Oh, yeah, Dark City is pretty fun. Dark City. We're, we're specifically mentioned as uh, Brazil being a heavy influence. Also, uh, Tim Burton's Batman, the production designer, Anton Furst, studied Brazil as a reference for Batman. Yeah, you can see it in kind of like Gotham's architecture in those movies. Now that mm -hmm. you say that, the camera angles were like things look kind of like distorted. Oh, the camera work was crazy stretched out. Movie. Yeah, the camera in this, I knew, you know, I, I wasn't it. sure what you'd think of this in terms of like when the plot gets surreal, but I was like, he's going to eat up all this camera work. I, I, <laughs> I kept thinking that when I was watching. I think even like, in the information retrieval room, like the rails that you see, I saw some, it was probably just IMDb, but I think I saw like, that was actually like a set of rails they would use for the cameras as well. <laughs> so they just built it into the, for like the, the shots moving up and down the ramp toward the uh, victim inform information <laughs> retrieval <laughs> recipient. 
<laughs> well, that's great. Because the camera's all over the place in this movie. It's like it never stops moving. Yeah, like, how would you describe this this movie? I mean, it's it's a Terry Gilliam film, so it's, it's sort of a it's it's uh it's like if Terry Gilliam made a parody of 1984. I think. I don't know about a parody. I, I didn't see any parody in this. This was all real. <laughs> no, no, not I mean, parody. This, um, this, this looked just like satire. real life. It's a, it's it's a satirical is better. Satirical is better. Yes, it's and it's if he made a, a comedic version of, of it of humor in it. Just just the absurdist nature of this whole. Yeah, well, it's like it's kind of slap. Like you say, it's kind of almost like slapstick, like over the top at times. But it's always done in the service of like it's so accurate. It disarms you. You're like, oh crud! You're like, this. We are like this. <laughs> oh, here's Lumberdork. Hey, was, it, was the electric hey, on the Fritz Lumberdork? It, it was. Yeah. So I guess you know this movie is essentially. I guess we need to just say what the premise is. Like, uh, essentially, a bug falling into a typewriter causes a typo in some paperwork that results in a man being wrongfully uh, imprisoned, tortured, and killed. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so it's like everything about like rectifying that. Yeah, the, the, the trying to reconcile that while not taking any responsibility for it. Not <laughs> completely outside of reality. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, That's, it's yeah. a little too close for comfort. And then through <laughs> the main character, Sam, we see like what the world is like. We see someone that's really dis sort of like this dreamer imaginative guy that wants to be anywhere else. And you get like those escapist sequences we were talking about with him is like kid Icarus or whatever. Yes. Oh, those were fat. Like that, the whole costume they're, with the, wings, they're fascinating. The, the iridescent, the creepy baby masks. <laughs> yeah. Well, like what they do with her and all the sequences. Um, what's her name? Jill. Uh, it's super simple. She's just like wrapped in like this flowing. Flowy. Yeah see-through-y, gauzy-looking something. But, like, the way they shoot it, light it, blow wind against it to move it around, whatever they're doing, however all the ways they're manipulating it, it looks, like, so amazing. And it's probably something very simple, I'm sure. Now, I love the restaurant sequence where, like, they go oh, to yes. such trouble to select things and they're just brought out, like, slop. Yes. And then when terrorists bomb the restaurant, the help just puts up screens so they don't have to see it. And, and and the people like, just go on with their day. If, they just don't not... even care. Yes. Now, now, were there actual terrorists? Hmm. I think I think so. Question. I thought that that was some that that was an interesting aspect of the film because the, the film doesn't show you any actual terrorists doing any actual terrorist things. It's just the result of supposed terrorist action. Things blowing up, exploding. It could be from either one of, one of two things. Either the automated self-defense system mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. is, is perpetually giving itself a need to exist by blowing things up, or the entire system is so corroded and <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Failing, <laughs> but, the, but, the, but the government itself cannot admit to its failing and, and is unable to do anything to, to mm. fix it. The only identified terrorist in the movie was was an HVAC repairman. So. <laughs> but then, okay, so so he was the typo. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, was not just a typo. It was it was an actual mix up between two people, and he was the one they were really after. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Robert right. De Niro's okay. character. Yeah. Yeah. Presumably because he was 
performing some form of terrorism. <laughs> yeah. Repairing air conditioning units without then following procedure. Reparations without uh, proper paperwork and yes. authorization. Yes. That's what made him a terrorist <laughs> to the government. Yes. <laughs> That's something else with that is that I I don't know who the villain of the story is like like there's no character to say oh that's the bad guy it's i think the villain is the the uh the system itself the government the yes paperwork all that which is really interesting because it's it's destroying itself and it's this endless cycle of it's keeping itself going all at the same time and very familiar with how things really are in the world so it, it's an interesting like character to not be seen but that's there all the time i don't think there's a wrong answer i kind of saw the main character as easily identifiable as the villain he uh sees himself as the hero mm-hmm. but he's kind of just complacent in the system through most of the story he really only uses it to further his uh fantasy life or reality his, his yeah. proclamation of love that's why he accepted the promotion was yes. so he could get yes. to the information about this girl <laughs> Up to that point, he, he kind of sees himself as as a rogue going against the system because, oh, he's not going to accept the promotion. He's happy, you know, uh, uh, staying where he is, kind of being superior. Out uh, of the way, though, too, though. Like... By being too good for his job. Really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I I hadn't considered that. Well, if you can't nail down the villain, the only truly heroic character in the movie, I think, is obviously Jill. I would say so, yes. I mean, I think you could also disagree with that. Like, like you know, like I said, the, the main character isn't necessarily villainous. Just, um, mm-hmm. I don't feel like ever, anything he ever does is truly heroic. It's all kind of self-serving. Yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> yeah, but her purpose soon after we meet her is to try to bring some sort of justice. And say so she's situation. at least trying to yeah. help her neighbor, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Which is what she's in trouble for. <laughs> Why else would she be saying it if she wasn't in league with someone? It like doesn't enter their minds that maybe she wants to help the the lady that lives downstairs. Like that's yeah. So just like Tuttle is branded a terrorist because he's uh, committing rogue acts of um, r- repair, repair, HVAC <laughs> repair. She's branded a terrorist because um, she's exposing a typo. <laughs> That is so absurd. <laughs> okay. Well, um, uh, we hadn't even uh, touched on this. This refund was uh, okay. So it's a refund check to the wife of the man who was mistakenly uh, taken by the inform the information ministry. Is that that's Ministry of Information? That's what it's called, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the Industry. refund is due to the fact that they charge people. For their, um, what they call it, information retrieval slash yes. in- torture interrogation slash eventual murder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they charge you. People. You pay for your own arrest, basically. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And she she got a refund because this, uh, this error was discovered and not, you know, swept under the rug appropriately. That is, it is all kinds of messed up. I, I I love that it was it was such a uh, commonplace practice that the workers had a replacement uh, uh, patch for the hole they had drilled to get yes. into his apartment. <laughs> it didn't quite fit though. <laughs> yeah, it didn't quite fit. 
Oh, oh, they had switched because back to metric? Yeah, switched back to metric, yeah. Yes. I didn't tell them about it. So their patch didn't fit anymore. But then they, they were like, not my problem kind of thing. Fantastic. Yeah. Then when he came back to give her the check, the hole was still there. So uh, To me, it was never terribly emotional. Um, mm-hmm. One one part got me, that though. The little, the, uh, the little girl. The little girl. And he said, uh, she says she's waiting for her daddy. And he says he'll be home eventually. Or he'll be proud of you when he gets home. And then he uh, realizes that she's yeah. she's waiting for the, that guy. The guy who was mistakenly taken, yeah. tortured, and murdered. Yeah. And and due to a system that he, he's he's slowly realizing he's been complicit in. And that's where all this dark allegory comes from. Is what did you think of? Um, like, did you have like a favorite character? I think I think mine was was Sir Michael Palin in this one. Something about Jack just unnerves me. I find him very unnerving. I mean, he's just so casual about like he comes taking the baby mask off and like he's in the blood covered shirt mm-hmm. and he just takes mm-hmm. it off and throws it aside. And he's calling his wife Barbara now because his boss mistakenly did. And he doesn't remember his daughter's name. And all he has to say to like Sam is he's like going rogue is, well, you can't go in that suit. You know, it's just, <laughs> yeah, he's just like, so he's so friendly and polished, but it's like around something like, so like nefarious. Yeah, and I you don't see, know. he just, he has no hesitation when Sam's coming in there. It's like, cool, sure. He's just doing his job. <laughs> just doing his job, yep. Which is kind of just kind of cold and chilling to me. And he's so dang cheerful while he's doing it. Now, um, when when Sam is the subject, though, there is some hesitation. Oh, he's, I took that as part he, of the mental break. That's what I was going <laughs> to ask, is if you thought whether, whether or not you thought that was after the mental break or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I took that as part of the mental break, because after he's just there with, you know, the guy that knew his father, and they're like, well, we can't get him to do anything. Because he had already cut they him like, off. He, he had told yeah. him, you know... Uh, We've always been close, but stay away till this is done. <laughs> <you know? laughs> But but you're right though that there's no moment of like here's the guy that's running the corrupt government. It's it's just like everyone's just like the little cog in the machine that's bumbling mm-hmm. along. One of the baddest guys in the story, he knows what he's doing. He's not oh, just yes. complicit in a system that he thinks might be you oh know kind of crummy. And he that's knows his kids away the terrible him. things he's doing. <laughs> that scene when his daughter's in the office. <laughs> And the way he they reveal the it, triplets name. <laughs> yeah, I mean the way they reveal it, you know, he walks up to the door and there's just a, a smear, one smear of blood, yeah, on the floor in this like immaculately clean hallway, and you're like, what kind of information retrieval are they doing? And basically, all but revealed information retrieval is just their word for torturing someone until they say what you want. But he has his daughters in the office. Yes, but then he he gives a perfectly logical explanation uh when he's presented with you know you what what's the speech you 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 got the wrong man and he's like no i got the right man the wrong man was delivered to me but i accepted him in good faith as the right man Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so did i do wrong (laughs) and even then he wasn't supposed he didn't actually torture him to a point that he thought would have killed him is that he had a heart condition he didn't know about because paperwork didn't cover because the paperwork was did not line up with the person he's like yes you know (laughs) I love I for I I don't know what the job's called the lady uh, taking dictation on the oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes she's oh, like looking God. at a at clothing catalog while she's just typing and listening to I like the mix of the his kind of fantasy world with the 
grungy kind of world that they're surrounded by. Um, I think that helped with the tone of the movie, like splitting between those. Those sequences become more and more frequent towards the end until they, you know, until the real world and yeah, world mesh at the end, and we're left with his catatonic state. Yeah, where <laughs> he's just off in his own world now, but he's happy. <laughs> okay, was there some meaning behind? I I left the film thinking this was. I loved the moment. I'm gonna get around to it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, but I kind of thought it was just a visual gag, like maybe a remnant of Monty Python. They just had to stick in some movie somewhere, but where he's driving and they cut to the, like, you think it's his perspective and it didn't, you see the man come up over the buildings. <laughs> oh gosh. I love yeah. that. I loved it. <laughs> it was fan- and it turns out it's just like miniatures. Yes. <laughs> what was the point of that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the same with the the desk. I think like, they're just having fun. Is, when he got promoted, and he moved to the offices, like oh, they had to make more space, <laughs> and they don't always change everything in the real world when they make space. <laughs> so they put a wall up, like in the middle of one of their posters, their little propaganda posters on the wall. Yeah. There's a wall going down the center of it, and the then poster, the poster, the desk is filing cabinet is also. In between yes. the wall, <laughs> the desk and the filing cabinet is in between the walls. They keep having to shift the desk back and forth to to use it. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I worked in get... an office like that once. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know it, that <laughs> that kind of stuff. Like that hit me on a different level watching this. You, I didn't you have mean a window the kind either. of office where you had to borrow vital equipment from your neighbor. <laughs> yes, and he was so protective of it, and he didn't mm-hmm. know how it worked. How it worked, and that is real as well. <laughs> yeah i know the tone of of it was uh different but the way media was represented in this kind of reminded me of robocop yeah mm. yeah mm-hmm. when was this made do you know when this was made time period so uh, i think it was 85 yeah it was like finally released okay. in 85 yeah and this it it's stuff like this that cracks me up that it, it's it's obviously fitting in with other stuff at that time, like similar feels, RoboCop, but just some of the stuff they did with the with the screens all around. Like, I mean, aside from how clanky some of them are, all that stuff's relevant today, where it wasn't as much at the time. And that that to me is always interesting. Like almost that kind of like um like Jules Verne and some of those that storytellers to where they eventually like kind of predict the future and stuff. So it's just it, neat, it was neat to me to see some of that. Did they predict the uh, Game Boy magnifying <laughs> yes. screen? Well, see, that was probably already in development at that time. So. Uh, if, if it wasn't Terry Gilliam, it was someone on a part of the, the production crew who stated that it was was designed to look like somebody from the 20s or 30s would predict 1984 to look like. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think they did that very well. That makes total <laughs> that makes total sense. Like you say, it's like yeah. typewriter bases with screens that look like some weird old TV vacuum tube thing, yeah. but also like a magnifying glass, and they're like watching Casablanca mm-hmm. and stuff like that when the boss isn't looking. <laughs> well, you know, you get like the ductwork thing at the beginning, <laughs> and then suddenly every room you see, there's just crap 
up layers of pipes and coils and just all over the place. Like I love Does like the man his... passing by that window at the explosion just disappear. He just disappeared. <laughs> He's just gone. <laughs> he was vaporized. Like like his mom's house is like the big bougie and it's like so fancy. And then the camera pans back and there's just all this crap just up in the ceilings. All the yeah, it too suffers from all the intrusive ductwork from the central services and. We've so what else is there. this guy in? He he was um oh, I, 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 I just recognize him as the governor in um Pirates of the Caribbean. And he was nice. also oh what's the name of the character uh, from something wicked this way comes uh Mr. Dark who who oh. uh, he, he ran the circus. And this movie has lots of great uh I forgot that uh Sir Ian, Sir Ian Holm. Holm is in this. I totally forgot. Yeah. Bilbo Baggins himself. He's awesome too. He's great. Is the Robert De Niro is so strange when he pops up. It's so weird. <laughs> there are noir elements. There, uh, it's surreal, like you mentioned. This is one of the best things I've seen all year. I've oh, really man. enjoyed this. I'm so movie. glad you liked it. <laughs> Thank you for joining us in the dimension of our midnight cape. We hope you'll visit us again. From myself, Lumberdor, Beaches, and Doug, thank you, and good night. I don't know, I don't... Why do you think the the studio was so opposed to releasing this movie? Now, the way I read it, it wasn't an opposition to releasing it. It was more um, releasing a version of it that they thought would sell. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. yeah. You're, you're, you're right. I think about the that. endings, the main, was like maybe the main sticking point mm. from like what I had been reading. People like their happy endings. And and maybe some of the maybe some know, of the dream sequence stuff too. A happy ending for the character. <laughs> well, it's like, it's like, an appropriate like, like ending. Said, he, yeah, it, it is. It is. It is a like how else is this going to end? You know, anything else just in, wouldn't do quite you work. Think in like, 1985, I don't believe any of us watched this and thought, you know, hey, he's getting away with it. This is a crazy <laughs> ending, but it is Terry Gilliam, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we we all knew what was going on. Do you think in 1985, you know, pre all these other movies we've seen, uh, this this was a more effective like uh, twist ending? I think so. I think okay. it, I think it was. And I always try to give older movies that sort of credits. Right, right. Having the guts to do something that hadn't been done. I still found it pretty impactful. I found myself kind of wishing, like, I knew we were going to go back and, and see that he had he had lost his mind. But I kind of wished that that we had just gotten the crazy ending. And I think I enjoyed that. And <laughs> yeah, even though none of it made sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you get that moment where Tuttle is... Um... Where he's absorbed in the... The garbage. Well, well the... he said he hated paperwork, right? Earlier yes. in the movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so he was just completely covered in paperwork and like dissolved. And that's when you're like, yeah, he's hallucinating. I mean, that's like literally like. And his mom visual... looking like Jill is like, 
of them sort of burying uh, an ideal like his in bureaucracy, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a lot of great imagery. That paper sequence with him getting covered up, that's another one that visual that kind of sticks with me. And it's the kind of thing you get to say cut with Robert De Niro after after enough papers applied, and then you get to do the rest of the day with a stunt guy. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, thank God. And then just a pile of paper. <laughs> the shot gets cheaper as it goes on. 